Before Trent Griffith married Andrea, they wanted to honor God in their physical relationship. For them, that meant denying themselves in what some might consider some pretty drastic ways. When Andrea and I got engaged, we we put some boundaries on our relationship. We decided, okay, it's probably not great for us to ever be alone. And it's probably not great for us to be in the dark. So, you know, there's a couple of boundaries. And then we, we made a really radical decision. Some of you are not even gonna be able to handle this, okay? We decided we would not kiss until the day we were married. Welcome to Resonate with Trent Griffith, Senior Pastor of Harvest Bible Chapel, soon to be Gospel City Church in Granger, Indiana. I'm Aaron Paulus. So have you ever thought that God was out to make you miserable, like He doesn't want you to have any fun? Well, as we're going to be hearing today, that kind of thinking isn't accurate. It assumes that all so-called fun is not right, or secondly, that holy living is not fun. But when we look at the Word of God and we hear from the experiences of others, we find that nothing could be farther from the truth. Pastor Trent is finishing up a series called Marriage is Obsolete and Other Modern Marriage Myths. Because of today's topic, this might be a good time to get your children busy elsewhere. You can always listen later if you'd like at harvestgranger.org slash resonate. Well, last week, Trent started helping us examine myth number five, which says, God wants to keep sex from me. He's going to review a little of what he said last week and then finish up the message. Here's Pastor Trent. In Proverbs chapter seven, there is a wonderful, vivid picture of how to avoid sexual sin. I have seen among the simple I have perceived among the youths a young man lacking sense. There's seven steps into sexual immorality. Here's the first one. Simple curiosity. People come up and say, well, you know, where do you draw the line? How, how far is too far when it comes to like physical intimacy? Wrong question. Better question. How wide can you make the gap? How far away from sin can you stay? That's a better question. And yet simple people don't ask that question. Here's the second step. It is unfiltered access. Look here at verse eight. Passing along the street near her corner. (gasps) Uh Uh-oh, who's her? We have a second person in the drama now. So he takes a left and then he starts heading down the street. Now he doesn't know she's down there. He's just innocently walking down the street, but he takes the path near her corner. It goes on in verse eight, taking the road to her house in the twilight, in the evening, at the time of night and darkness. So what do we have here? We got a simple guy in the wrong place near her corner at the wrong time at twilight in the evening and at night in the darkness. It's a wrong time. Dude, you are out way too late. Step number three is a rejection of authority. Look at verse 10. And behold, a woman comes to meet him dressed as a prostitute, wily of heart, 
And he begins to describe her. She is loud. I mean, she's argumentative. And she's wayward. In other words, she's not living the way she was trained to live. She's rejected the counsel, the protection, and the direction of her parents. We know that's true because of what it says next. Her feet do not stay at home. Now, her feet are just the vehicle to carry her body and her mind as far from her authority as she can. We know that even more when we skip down to verse 19. Notice what it says. For She's speaking, for my husband is not at home. Now, the actual Hebrew word there is simply the man. So it could be her husband. could also be her dad. So dad's not at home. Where'd he go? He's gone on a long journey. He took a bag of money with him. So he's on a business trip. And at full moon, he will come home. So she sees this as an opportunity. Dad's not doing his job at home because he's off doing his job with bags of money. So she's left unprotected, undirected, leaving her to do life on her own and learn how to do life from others. So there's a rejection of authority. Number four is a flattering invitation. And here's where the ball accelerates a flattering invitation. This whole time she's talking to him. Up in verse five, it says that she's the adulteress with her smooth words. Look down at verse 21. With much seductive speech, she persuades him. With her smooth talk, she compels him. Skip one page back in your Bible. Look at chapter five, verse three talking about the same girl. For the lips of a forbidden woman drip honey. This is honey lips. And she's so sweet and she just talks and tells you how great you are. It goes on and says, her speech is smoother than oil. Oily words. Honey lips. You're so cute. You're so awesome. You're so smart. You're so godly. Nobody can do it like you. And I just wish my husband was like you. Smooth, sweet, seductive, and deadly. A flattering invitation. So she, she flatters with her words. Now, not only does she flatter with her words, she flatters with her body. Go back to chapter seven. Look here at verse 13. It says, she seizes him. She grabs him. She hugs him. She pulls her to him and kisses him. They just met for crying out loud. And with a bold face, she speaks to him. The word bold there means shameless. So she, she hugs him. She pulls her to him. I do not believe that God made the front part of a woman to make contact with the front part of a man until they are in a covenant love 
relationship called marriage. Again, go back over to chapter 5. Look down at verse 20. Question is asked. Why should you be intoxicated, my son, with a forbidden woman and embrace the bosom of an adulteress? All in agreement, bosom, front part. Yeah, that does not need to make contact with a man ever, unless it's your grandmother and or your wife. And so seizing and grabbing and touching and massaging off limits for People who are not in a covenant marriage relationship. Look at verse 10. It, we skip this. It says, behold, the woman meets him. She's dressed as a prostitute. Seductive, flattering. The way she's dressing is communicating availability. What she chooses to cover, what she chooses to uncover, what she chooses to expose, what she chooses not to expose. Whether it's too high, too low, too tight, too much, too little, when you start talking about dress in church, everybody freaks out. You, I mean, it's like we can be really legalistic when it comes to dress and we can be really stupid when it comes to dress. We don't want to make either mistake, okay? People ask sometimes, do you have a dress code at Harvest? Absolutely. You are required to wear clothes every time you come to church. <laughs> That's the dress code, okay? Now, if you can't do it appropriately. So hopefully somebody loves you enough to come alongside of you. It's like, I don't think you really understand what you're that. And here's a sweater. I don't know. But we, it's, if you, we, you are loved, you are loved so much that we want to help in this area. This matter of physical affection. When Andrew and I got engaged, we we put some boundaries on our relationship. We decided, okay, it's probably not great for us to ever be alone because <laughs> I'm I got these issues. Um, and it's probably not great for us to be in the dark. So, you know, that was a couple of boundaries. And then we, we made a really radical decision. Some of you are not even going to be able to handle this. Okay. So here's what we decided. We decided we would not kiss until the day we were married. You can breathe now, okay? We kiss all the time now. We have four children, the plumbing works. It all, it's all great, okay? So, but I've had people look at me and they're like, you did what? Like, how would you know you would want to marry a woman that you hadn't actually kissed? I always look back and I'm like, well, how would I know I would want to marry her if I did kiss her? I mean, if that's all that's involved, you just line them up you kiss them and whichever one sends fireworks up, I guess that's the one. Is that what you're saying? I mean, and, and so we, we didn't kiss and because we knew if we didn't kiss, there's a whole lot of other stuff we weren't going to be doing, right? Now, I always, I always tell the story. Three days before the wedding, I kissed her. And it, it was an intentional choice because we didn't want our first kiss to be in front of 500 people that were inspecting the kiss. And so we had a little practice session. It went really well. So uh, we... <laughs> But, you know, it's like, ooh, you broke your promise. All right, well, then go three days out. I don't care, but put some boundaries on the relationship to demonstrate that you're different. The reason we did that is for two reasons. Number one, we didn't want the baggage that kissing had caused in other relationships that we had had. And so we just we're, just keep lips away from one another. We can wait. Second reason is because we knew that we would be standing in front of groups of people talking about this issue. And I didn't just want to show you illustrations from the Bible. 
I wanted to show you an illustration from my life that not everybody's doing it. You're like, well, it's just, you just don't even understand this culture. How could you even expect anybody to live like that in this culture? I remember when we were back in uh, the gym in, at North Point Elementary School, we had just started the church. It was about a year into our church and our church was growing. And there was this young lady that showed up in our church. She was so happy. And she came up and she introduced herself. She said, my name is Scylla. And I've only been a Christian for a few months. I grew up as an atheist. All this stuff is brand new to me, but I just love Jesus and I'm getting into his word. And I'm so happy right now. I'm engaged and I'm due to be married in six weeks. I, would, I was wondering, would you perform our wedding ceremony? And I'm like, man, this is great. This is exactly the kind of people that, that we want to disciple in our church. And so I really wanted to accommodate her. I, I hooked her and her fiance up with another couple in our church to go through premarital counseling so that we could make sure that, you know, this, this is God's will and everything. So that they began to go through that. And then I met her fiance, Bud. My first conversation with Bud was not a real happy one because... Um, Bud told me that they had scheduled, by the way, they're sitting right there, that they had scheduled a trip to Cancun. I said, for the honeymoon? He's like, no, way before the wedding. All right, now, hang on. You, did you get two rooms? No, why would we need two rooms? I'm like, well, um, is Jesus Lord of your sex life? Is Jesus going to be Lord of your marriage? You want God's blessing on your marriage. And you, you, need to, you need to wait. Well, he was not real happy with that. He spent a lot of money on this trip. And I was like, well, bud, there's, there's good news. Okay, so here, I've done a little checking for you. Um, the family life weekend to remember marriage getaway just happens to be on the same weekend in Fort Wayne. So really what you should do is you need to cancel your trip to Cancun and spend the weekend in Fort Wayne <laughs> in different rooms. And he did it. And he lost all the money that he'd spent on the Cancun trip, a high price to pay to demonstrate my commitment to the Lordship of Jesus Christ in my sexuality. Not everybody's doing it. Join the resistance. <laughs> Be different. Be distinct. You'll create a buzz. What's wrong with you? There's nothing wrong with me. I'm right. You're wrong. Let me show you God's plan for sexuality so you can be blessed as well. A flattering invitation. Number five, pornography. Don't have a lot of time to dive into this, but have you ever seen pornography in the Bible? It's right here in verse 16. She says, I have spread my couch with coverings, colored linens of Egypt. I have perfumed my bed with myrrh, aloes, and cinnamon. You smell that? It smells like a cinnamon roll. And verse 18, come, let us take our fill of love until morning. New American Standard says, let us drink our fill of love until morning. Let us delight ourselves with love. New American Standard says, let us delight ourselves in caresses. What is pornography? Pornography is anything that stimulates one of your five senses for the purpose 
of getting a sexual response. We think about what we see, that's one form. Can you see the colored linens from Egyptian linen? She paints the picture in his mind. So she uses the sense of sight. Then she uses the sense of smell, myrrh, aloe, and cinnamon. Then she uses the sense of taste. Let us drink our fill of love until morning. Doesn't that taste good? And let's delight ourselves in caresses, touch. And what has she been doing the whole time? Talking, the sense of hearing. She, he sees it, he smells it, he tastes it, he touched it, and he hears it, and he wants it. Pornography is eroding our sense of holiness over things that are meant to be reserved for couples in a covenant love relationship. And so pornography, we've got, to, we've got to turn that off. It hurts your brain, it hurts relationships, it hurts the world because the whole thing is built on an industry that exploits and traffics humans. And so think about that next time you're tempted. Number six, unfulfilled expectations. It never satisfies. Look down here at verse 21. With much seductive speech, she persuades him. With her smooth talk, she compels him. And yet... All at once, he follows her as an ox goes to the slaughter. As a stag caught fast till an arrow pierces his liver. I bet he wasn't thinking about his liver when he followed her. As a bird rushes into a snare, now he's trapped, now he's caught, now he's addicted. As he does not know that it will cost him his life. Dad speaks in verse 24. Now, O sons, listen to me. Be attentive to the words of my mouth. Let not your heart turn aside to her ways. It's not a physical problem. It's a heart problem that's turned away from God and turned toward another person. Do not stray into her past. For many victims she has laid low and all of her slain are a mighty throng. Her house is the way to Sheol going down to the chambers of death. There's one final stage. It's this. Shallow religion. There's two verses that I skipped intentionally. I want you to go back to them. They really seem out of place. You got this whole drama. There's all this sensual activity going on in the story. And then we read verse 14, right in the middle of the story. What does she say? Actually, go back to 13. She seizes him. She kisses him with a bold face. She says to him, what would you expect her to say at this point? I love you. I want you. Can't do without you. That's not what verse 14 says. What does she say? I had to offer sacrifices today. I've paid my vows. What? Does that seem a little out of place to you? What was she saying? Where would a young Hebrew girl go to offer sacrifices and pay vows? The place of worship. In the presence of God. And she's saying, I've already done my religious duty. I've already been to church. I mean, I already offered sacrifices for all that sexual sin I did last week. And so I'm gonna engage in some more this week. I can always go back to church next week and get forgiveness from God. And I can offer more sacrifices and I can make more, I can 
pay more vows. I can make more promises to God and he'll overlook it. He's so kind. He's so loving. I mean, after all, God is love and I love to sin. And so I've got this great love relationship going on with God. And she has no understanding of the depth of what the sacrifices were meant to show. All of the blood that was spilled, all of the lambs that were slaughtered pointed to a preview of coming attractions when Jesus is the Lamb of God would lay his life down for sexual sinners. It ought to break your heart that the price that Jesus had to pay was blood for sexual sinners. She says, I paid my vows, thinking that somehow you can pay for your own sin. You can pay God off. You can make him look another way. Now, as tragic as that is, I'm looking into the faces of some people that march in and out of the doors every week. You sing your songs, you pay your tithes, you go through the motions, you read your Bible, and maybe you think that simply because you came to the place of worship, God is satisfied and doesn't care about your sexual sin. Let me tell you how much God cares about your sexual sin. He murdered his own son and treated his own son as if he was a sexual sinner so that he could treat sexual sinners as if they hadn't sinned. And if you get that, you will run as far in the opposite direction from sexual sin as you can. It ought to break your heart that Jesus' heart and body were broken on the cross to pay for the sin of sexual sinners like you and me. Shallow religion doesn't do that. Shallow religions teaches you that you can sacrifice and go to church, spend a little time, and God will overlook your sin. That you can make some promises to God and you can pay your own way back to God. No, that's shallow religion. That's what she had. And none of it altered her behavior in any way. How about your behavior? Is your worship and your relationship spiritually with Jesus so intimate that it impacts your physical intimacy with others? Are you playing outside the boundaries that God placed on sex because somehow you don't think God cares anymore? The gospel invites sexual sinners to humble themselves, to bring all of the brokenness from sexual sin to the foot of the cross, to see Jesus on that cross, dying in your place. Let the marriage bed be undefiled because God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. You will either be judged guilty or innocent. Not based on your good behavior, but based upon the behavior of Jesus Christ. The remedy for sexual sin is not to stop sinning. You should stop sinning. But the only way to be cleansed from sexual sin is through the atoning 
blood of Jesus Christ on that cross. If you've never brought yourself to the foot of that cross, do it now. If you have, do it again. The application of this message may be a hundred different things for a hundred different people. Some of you need to restore a broken relationship with a father and put yourself back under his authority or your mother's authority. Some of you need to cut off access to things that are putting you in the wrong place at the wrong time around the wrong people. Some of you need to break up a relationship. Some of you need to Humble yourself, take off the mask, get honest, and let an accountability partner know the depth of your addiction. Establish a way to pray and keep one another accountable. Some of you need to come to a pastor here today at the end of the service. Some of you need to call a church office and set up some counseling. Don't just walk out of here thinking, I'll do better. You won't. You've tried that before. Would you stand with me? I'm going to pray for you and pray for me. Lord, thank you for the truth that uh, you've created a wonderful gift in physical intimacy that you want to give to those that are in a marriage relationship. I pray for every single person here that's going to battle this week. I pray for every married couple that's tempted to be unfaithful. I pray for those that are caught in the traps of addiction. And Lord, it's a wonder that we're not all addicted with the temptation that's available to us today. And I pray for your grace that you would release people from those shackles. I pray for more people like Bud and Scylla that would pay a price to be sexually pure. And God, would you make us distinct in our community? through our marriages, through our children, through our discipleship, through our worship and our love for you so that you can be glorified. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. The very sin that we think will be so pleasurable or rewarding always comes back to bite us. That's true in life and it's also true in relationships. But praise God for the grace and forgiveness that he offers through the gospel of Jesus Christ. We've been listening to Pastor Trent Griffith as he wraps up a series about the lies that we can slip into believing when it comes to marriage. Trent is a pastor of a church right here in Michiana, a church that's been going by the name of Harvest Bible Chapel Granger. But now we're going to be known as Gospel City Church. And don't worry, we're still the same church committed to the same God preaching from the same Bible. I just wanted to give you a heads up so you're not caught off guard next week when I say that Trent is a pastor of Gospel City Church. If you want to visit our church for a worship service, we'd love to have you. You can find out when and where we meet by going to our website, harvestgranger.org. Again, that's harvestgranger.org. And be sure to follow us on Facebook when you search for Harvest Bible Chapel Granger. Don't forget, next weekend we start Daylight Savings Time, so be sure to spring forward on March 10th. 
We're also going to start a new series right here on Resonate. It's called Shooting Straight About Parenting. So if you're a parent or you know someone who is, or if you have a parent, tune in to Resonate. Again, spring forward next weekend to be sure to listen to Resonate as well. Well, thanks for listening today. I'm Aaron Paulus, and my prayer is that God's word would resonate in your heart this week. Resonate with Trent Griffith is a radio and podcast ministry of Harvest Bible Chapel Granger. Visit us online at harvestgranger.org.